Guys, 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 hey, hey, guys, we did it. We are here at the end of the third friggin' season of Star Trek Discovery. I feel like I should be, like, playing a trumpet right now, like, with fanfare that we're done. Um, not, don't, y'all listening, don't, don't take that the wrong way. It's It's just the fact that we finished another season. So, here we are. We did it, y'all. We made it to the end. Yay! <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did it. Woo! That's more. It's it, it's more like a. Whew, we did it. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Um, everyone that's tuning in, welcome to um, this episode of Engage. We are now at the season finale of Star Trek Discovery season three, episode. 13. That Hope Is You, part two. Finally got it. Um, didn't know that we were we were going to be having That Hope Is You, part two. I mean, we like these last three episodes, we've been getting the runaround like with these episode names for crying out loud. I mean, this one was supposed to be called Outside, and now we got we got that part two. They went yeah, X-Files why, style on us, by the way. Why, why do that? Like... Why give us a fake title and then change it like a couple of days before the episode? Why not give us nothing? Like, for instance, The Mandalorian gave us no episode titles, right, in this season. Why do this? Why why try and fake us out? Like, what's the purpose of it? I don't know. I, I think, I, honestly, I think, like, especially from, like, a Star Wars perspective, I honestly do think that some of the higher ups you know for like disney get really tired of the constant speculation of fans because it it a lot of times um some of that pre-speculation can bring up some very uh i guess negative emotion and i suppose that if you come into something negative you can potentially make the overall experience negative so maybe they're just trying to bring you in neutral or the best that they can because like smart smart fans of series can infer a lot or sometimes it just depends on the series but in some series they can infer a lot by a title Mm -hmm. um like well let's say uh the episode of mandalorian called the jedi Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) if that would have been uh, pre-released i mean i already knew it was going to be ahsoka because it was written and directed by dave filoni so oh, they yeah. made the mistake of like <laughs> telling me the writer and the director right uh you know so I, I i don't necessarily think that that works as much for this show so i think they're just having a little bit of fun with us maybe but technically outside would have worked as well that's true it's true <laughs> well um before we get into this, I will just say, like, you know, this is not a spoiler-free discussion, of course. Uh, I, I feel like I'm getting better at this, y'all. Like, I'm actually giving, like, the spoiler warning at the beginning instead of, like, halfway through. So, yay me, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, before again, before we really start, we start this discussion and whatnot, Eric, you are back. You are back. Um... Back where you belong, I guess. I don't know. I mean, the last several weeks, you've been sojourning. You've been a vagabond of sorts, and now you're back home. Yeah, I've been I've been taking my shuttlecraft and 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 taking around and touring the galaxy, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but you know, back at home base here, you know, in my own in my own house. There we go. 
there we go feels good feels good you know it was good to get out and visit with you chase and visit with my family but you know something about sleeping in your own bed at home it's very satisfying you the right way yeah, yeah yeah well i'm glad you made it back home um you were so yeah you were with me uh for a couple of days back in mid-december and then you were with your family uh for i think like two two and a half weeks thereabouts and yep. uh hope you had a good time with them i did excellent day david how you been dude fine <laughs> I already aired out all the demons before the episode so I won't I won't rehash those sure sure no I, it you know it's been as good as it as good as it can be yeah um, you know not not much going on not much going on just home and work and mm-hmm. all that good jazz yeah yeah well it's it's good to be to be back with you guys and if I can sound just a little sappy and just be real with you dudes for for a second and for everyone out in listener land I'm I'm actually a little bummed that this is the last episode that we're doing I mean there's no new Star Trek for the foreseeable future like nothing that I've heard that's been um, you know announced in terms of like what's coming next Um, so yeah we're not going to be hanging out like this like we we have been so Apart from like, yeah. you know, when we record like a regular episode, but no more engaged for a while. Yeah, of all the 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 bad things that happened in 2020, um, it was a pretty good year for Star Trek. We had what ten episodes of Picard. We had ten episodes of Lower Decks. I mean, you know, that was interesting. And then you know, 13 weeks of of Discovery here. So that's what 33 weeks of new Star Trek in 20. I know this episode came out in 2021, but essentially more than half of the year we had a new episode of Star Trek to look forward to and and I think the best part of that this year was getting to talk with you guys about each episode. I think I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed the actual Star Trek that we were watching, especially here toward the end. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know you really enjoyed Lower Decks and you know, watching some cartoons and talking about that, so that was probably your favorite part, I'm sure. I, I mean, yeah. I seem to that, re- that Pickerdough guy, you know, you could have cared less about that. Jean Luc Pickard. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Eric went on record saying that Star Trek Lower Decks was like the best Star Trek series for him. Like it's number one in his book. Yeah. Num- if I'm not mistaken. One with a number one with a bullet. <laughs> okay, Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, don't make me play Fallout Boy. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm not sure I've ever actually heard a Fallout Boy song. I probably have. I just don't know I'm that sure. it was Fallout Boy. <laughs> it's like, you know, well, it was like a stupid popular song. Like when we were in like, like high school or college, I think. Like, like I'm I'm sure I've heard one. I just don't know that it was Fallout Boy. Wow. Yes, the era of emo music and flippy hair and. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Well, uh, this week was, was interesting uh, for, for the fandom. Um, so, of course, we had the, the season finale for Discovery that we're about to talk about. But we also had a brand new book that dropped on Tuesday, The, the Dark Veil, which is a sequel to Last Best Hope. And um, 
I'm not too far into it right now. Um, I'm like maybe five or six chapters into it right now, and it's it's interesting so far. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and it's it's considered actual canon uh, for the Titan crew. So the there were books that were published in the early 2000s, um, Star Trek Titan, that are not considered canon, but this one is. So um, I will say that there are some character, you know, crossovers, so to speak. Like some characters are actually becoming canon, which is kind of cool. Um, but we'll do a more in-depth discussion of that later this month. And uh, anyway, if you know you want to get on get on that train and talk about it, then I'd highly recommend go pick it up or you know get the audiobook, one of the two. But yeah, Star Trek: The Dark Veil. It's um, set, I believe it's set one year after Picard resigns uh, from Starfleet as an admiral, and um, and like the whole Mars incident and everything like that. So uh, that's where it's at. So it's still considered a prequel to the Star Trek: Picard series in the same vein as Last Best Hope. So. Anyways, here we are. Anyways, anyway, there we go. Anyways isn't a word. Um, gents, let's do this. Let's talk about. Let's talk about this show. Let's talk about this episode. So, was this Die Hard two? Just out of curiosity. It's very action packed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we knew that we were going to get a fast action paced episode here toward the finish because. We all thought that there was still a lot to do. It turns out it didn't really feel like a lot happened, but it still felt very fast-paced for me. Okay. Yeah, and full of catchphrases. We had catchphrases, too. (laughs) (laughs) Just short of of the CSI Miami whipping off of the glasses and putting them back on, you know what I mean? (sighs) Oh. Like, you know, instead of trying to take a lot of time to figure out a good catchphrase, which that wasn't a good catchphrase, by the way, mm-hmm. let's spend time in the writer room building our characters rather than building catchphrases. Is that not something we should focus on? Yeah. That's probably well, I, important. I, 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 will, I will say this. Um, I, was, <clears throat> I was extremely impressed by Doug Jones in this episode. Like uh, of all of all the, the the good that I can muster to find, um, I really enjoyed his his uh, his part in this episode because I've been like I've been really hard on on Saru's character. I've been super hard on him, but <clears throat> in in this particular episode, I felt like he emoted so well and and obviously you know he was without the prosthesis and everything so you got to see the real you know human face i just thought he acted his heart out drop the pen but uh i thought he acted his heart out and that was probably like one of the the big bright points for the episode for me Mm -hmm. yeah you know i i I, you know i was very high on saru at the beginning of this season and, and i've definitely come down on him as well as we move, because I, I, I feel like he's made a lot of poor decisions here as a captain. Um, but yeah, I, I said a couple weeks ago when we first saw Doug Jones um, without without the Saru prosthesis, I was like, is he is he leaving the show? Like, is this a way for are they like 
giving him a send off and and, and Michelle Paradise, our showrunner, has clearly said, you know, Doug Jones and Saru are going to be back next season, but it, it almost does feel like sort of a goodbye in a sense. Um, right. And, and I, I really feel like Doug Jones, you know, you know, put a lot into his acting in this episode because he, he kind of felt like it was almost a goodbye as well. So he, he went a little a little extra, I feel, and it, it was it was really good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Well, this is something I didn't know, and I'm actually embarrassed to admit that I didn't know this, is that Doug Jones apparently only signed a five-year contract. Like, he's like, I'm done. Like, I'm only going to do this for five years, and I'm done, basically. I mean, he is, like, the creature dude in Hollywood. So it, it kind of makes sense, you know, like, that he wouldn't want to get tied down indefinitely to one particular project. But, yeah, like this five years and here we are I mean we're kind of at that five like calendar wise we are at five years so to speak I mean I mean they've probably been doing this since like what 2016 I mean here we are early 2021 so I mean we're, we're right we're right there but um it's it's gonna suck like with with you know Saru with Doug Jones not not really being there maybe in, in the same capacity that he was before like does he become like an admiral does he become an ambassador to uh of kaminar you know but yeah the, the ambassador would make a lot of sense it would to yeah. me federation yeah. ambassador f- from from kaminar that would make actually a lot of sense i, I feel like but it, it would, would seem fair. seem it like it would diminish the role in the show though yeah i feel like coming back to the discovery and being a, a full crew member is is got to be out of the question for his character at this moment in time. I don't it is think now. I, I mean, I don't think you can go back to being like the first officer of this ship after you've been the captain. I think that would be a mistake. I mean, as as like not great of a captain and as short of a tenure of a captain as he was, it making him an admiral just really doesn't make sense for that character. So I think ambassador role is definitely the way to go. And I think we were even kind of seeing some of that in in the unification episode where he was talking with the president of of Navarre. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know we're we're talking about the end, you know, without even talking about the beginning, but um I feel like I called this that, you know, Mike Burnham was going to become captain. Yeah, we all we all knew that. We 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 all I mean, I mean, listen, um like I've got, I wrote down a quote from Michelle Paradise about this because she's she's been talking about this. Um, and I mean, if you want to talk about Michael Burnham, the captain, right now, I can I can I can talk about this quote if you want. Do y'all want to do that, or we want to like pump the brakes on this? Oh, uh, just go. It's already locked and loaded. Yeah, it's in the chamber. All right. All right, let's go. Okay, so this is this is directly from Michelle Paradise, our showrunner. Okay, she says, going back to season one, episode one, this was always the story of Burnham on her way to becoming a captain. The question for us was, when is the right time for this to happen? We knew going into this season, that's where we wanted to end. It was about taking her as far from that point as we could so we could watch her journey into the captain's chair. So beginning of the season, we're giving her that year away and having her refuse that chair in episode three. And then taking her to her crisis point in episode seven, where she really has to decide if this is the world she wants. 
We watched her over the course of three seasons, and this felt like the right time to do it. So, like, this was their plan all season long. Basically say, Michael Burnham, get as far away from the captain's chair as you can so we can try and take you back there. And I think we're all on record as saying we think Michael Burnham is not captain material. Well, well, I think think the, you know, as you say, the, the kind of taking as far away from the captain's chair and then trying to build back up, the problem was the build. The build was done, in my opinion, rather poorly. So whereas like season two, Michael, okay, fine, you know, repaired the reputation of being a mutineer, whatever. Uh, I like season two, but anyway, I I, I, w- I was like I, I wasn't as apprehensive, but I just feel like the, the the build that they attempted to do for season three just wasn't good enough for me. It wasn't good enough for me to really to really care. And that one long year. Uh, of growth and cats and you know everything else it just it just didn't do anything for me to think that yeah this is clearly the captain but guess what we all knew it was going to happen and I'll tell you this sometimes all it takes is just sitting in the cell drinking some synthol not wishing somebody a happy birthday and just you know just being one of the buds that's all it takes Yeah, it was. If if you know this season was supposed to be like, I don't know, like a hard reset for for Michael, you know, um, with the one year, you know, Rubber Springer. Yes, I was gonna say Vision Quest, but yes. <laughs> um, if if that's what it was supposed to be like this was like way too forced. I mean, for 13 episodes, this was way too forced. Like, but I don't know. It was just, it was way too forced as far as I'm concerned with, you know, her saying no to Starfleet, yes to Starfleet. And then now being in the center seat. Um, if, if anything, like I think maybe narrative wise, maybe it would have been more appropriate for her to become the captain in season four. Um, like there's more time, but like to, to compare, like seriously, like you, you say you're done with Starfleet and like you've, you've turned your back and you've like left everyone behind and you know, you get a a spanking by your mama in front of some Romulans and some Vulcans for crying out loud. And now you're, you're suddenly okay with it. I mean, that's like, what was that? Like five, six episodes prior to this decision point. And then like, you know, stepmama Philippa saying you can do it. I mean, it was just, it's so contrived. Just so contrived. Well, and I'm going to say it again. It is the problem with attempting to stuff in all of this into as many, what was it, 13 episodes we got when it should have been a 22 or 24 season, or 24 episode arc, or uh, season. Jeez, I can't talk. That's the reason why all those old TV shows did that is because you had the character development. We didn't get an episode where she was having a birthday brunch in a nacelle with Tilly. We didn't have her like helping out Bryce with his Taekwondo. I don't know. I don't know what they do. How am I supposed to know? We were never shown that. It's, Mm -hmm. It's all about the action and how many people Michael can impale with a bolt. Yeah. So I definitely think, you know, I mean, 
we're jumping all over the place, but um, we get this Awusakun moment where they're, they're the the um, the oxygen is coming out of the ship, and she's like, "Yeah, I can hold my breath for for ten minutes. It's just part of what we do." And that just like randomly came out of nowhere. Like that's that's a detail that we could have like explored in an Awusakun centric episode, you know, somewhere along the way, rather than just dropping it conveniently here to give her this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an Awusakun episode, a Detmer episode. A, and and you, you, know, know. You, don't even, you don't even necessarily have to do an Awusakun episode and then a Detmer episode because you could do those two together because they're almost like... They're besties, you man. Know, they're besties. Yeah, sure. they're, they're tied at the hip at the front of the at the ship. You know, they could they could give them <laughs> nice one episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the poet in me. D- DJ Eric. Eric, Eric. <laughs> no but you're right though i mean it, it could have been condensed but it, it's it's just it, it's the fundamental storytelling you, and then i'll even say this as far as just for captain michael with vance towards the end when we learn that she will be the captain you know he even starts to say it's like you know ba- i don't remember the exact phrasing but it was like you know he was basically against her way and but by god your way worked yeah, but is that the Starfleet way? Is that the way you want it to go for Starfleet and everything? Just because she happened to be right? I mean, she also thought she was right when she, uh, you know, uh, in the first season. So, and she wasn't. But, yep, yeah, I, I because would argue, right it away. I would argue that Star Trek is full of stories of your captains... You know, <laughs> bucking authority and sort of yeah, doing sure. things their own way. I mean, that's kind of, you know, something we just see along the way, you know, because and I think we're so conditioned to to distrust like the admirals and the higher-ups because of that. Right. I mean... Yeah, sure, the, but the, they, the, they, they still face consequence though. I mean, despite what you might think about it, I mean, Kirk and uh, Voyage Home or not Voyage Home um... Uh, he was busted down from admiral to captain. I'm sorry, I'm not. Voyage home. Yeah. Was Voyager. that? But that was, was that when he was officially busted down? Was during voyage home? Yeah. The, yeah, the, clo- the, the closing ends. Of the okay, so was it at the very? Well, anyway, I mean, this sort of stuff does happen. I mean, like you have that. There's they're very rare. At least in this season, there doesn't seem to be as much uh, responsibility to consequence to action. Now, although she wound up being right. You can be right and still be wrong. And like the whole thing with the previous episode and sort of what's a little bit maddening about some of it uh, is that you could have had an, uh, you know, uh, an Emerald Chain and Starfleet Alliance. It, you know, in its form, it probably wasn't right, but it could have been handled differently. But Vance stuck to a certain code of ethics that said you cannot represent the chain because of your past. And we have to effectively make an example for people to trust the chain. Mm-hmm. But we're still effectively, you know, just trusting everything that, that Michael wants to do here, making her the captain, giving her the chance. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that actions should still have consequence. You should still have some sort of overall code that everybody can follow. Yeah, you're going to buck individual stuff because, like, with, like, Kirk, I mean, Kirk was just on a five-year mission out there sometimes alone you got to make snap judgments but um i don't know i I think eventually you have to you have to have that that code because like 
You see it with Picard. You you see uh, <laughs> you you see certain ethics questions with Crusher that just override what some people think is common sense. But it's because we're Starfleet. We do this this way. Yeah. So I don't know. It's not a huge deal, but it'll be interesting to see how they write Captain Burnham for season four. Sure. And I just hope that it's different than this. Like, get us a little bit more science exploration, maybe. I want. I want to say that that I want to say, and I want to believe that that's the direction they're going with. Kind of how maybe this this had ended. You know, now we have like dilithium that we're apparently mining um, in a safe way or whatever, and we're able to deliver things. So I'm hoping, but I'm I'm also cautiously optimistic about it too. Um, You were going to say something, Eric? Yeah. So we um. No, I'm just piggybacking on this point. Um, when we got, when we talked about the unification episode, I know Chase, you don't want to talk about it, but Ever. but David brought up this great point. He says that like, you know, this episode could have been a great episode to explore the healing of a planet that desperately needs to be healed, right? Um, and and you know, when we went to Trill, this planet obviously has some healing that needs to be done, and so you know, season four could be this. You know, I, 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 I hope this is what it does. I think this I would make me excited for it if we go back to these planets. Like, like I, I, it was maddening to me at the end of this episode. We're just jumping around how they just, like, glossed over all of these things. Like, oh, Trill is back in the Federation. Navarre's considering it. Like, things don't happen that fast, right? I mean, we could have had a, a, a big plot point of Season 4 could, could be, hey... Let's go and reconnect with all of these planets that used to be in the Federation. And let's, you know, we, we'd lost touch with them and we'd lost our goodwill with them. But now we're going to go back and, and reconnect and try and heal. And maybe that involves, you know, going back to Andoria as well. Like, was Andoria was a founding member of the Federation? Like, is the entire planet of Andoria part of the Emerald Chain? Or is it just a group of Andorians that were part of it, right? That's something that we can explore. And, and I mean, if that's what season four is, I'm excited for it. But I don't know if that's what they're going to do or not. And, and then I'll just piggyback on the Captain Burnham. Burnham as a character has always been, like, effective, right, when she's brushing up against authority. And now that she is the authority, who does she have to brush up against? And how does this character work? I want to, um, we're talking about connection and, um, you know, reconnecting and things like that. And what I want to do, if it's all right with you gents, is I want to do a little something where, let's see, there we go. Let's, let's talk, let's, I want to play this clip. And maybe we can kind of like tie this all together. So you guys probably already know what I'm talking about, but for the rest of y'all listening, I just want to highlight this for a second. So here we go. Disconnection. That's how this future began. One moment in time radiated outward until no one even remembered the connection and was possible anymore. But it is. 
the need to connect is at our core as sentient beings. It takes time, effort, and understanding. Sometimes, it feels impossible. But if we work at it, Fractured without Osira, and the Federation is continuing to rebuild. There is a lot of work to do. It will take time. CBSL accidentally me. But already the Trill have rejoined. Other worlds are considering it. And well, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So a after after you play that that quote, like if you watch the Ready Room. Michelle Paradise goes into a, a much longer quote about connection and disconnection. I'm sure you watched it, Chase. I know, David, you've been, you know, I they always forget it. about the ready room. Yeah, no, it. no. But but she, she, Michelle Paradise goes on to explain that, like, connection and disconnection was the entire theme of this entire season. And they tried to, you know, show how um, and they said, hey, this is why, you know, the cause of the burn had to be about about not something nefarious but it had to be about connection and and they tried to create what was the wording she used she said we're looking for a kind of story where the disconnection would be so profound that something like this would happen you know like sukal was disconnected from his mother and from everyone else so his disconnection caused everyone else to be disconnected and that was why it had to be something like that because that was the theme they wanted to explore and how it paralleled the world where, hey, we are more connected than we ever have been before, you know, with the internet and social media and television and everything like that. But in a sense, that also makes us disconnected from people because we don't actually have to go out in the world. And, and you know, forcing us to go out in the world is scary, but, but that's something that we need to do. And that was like her quote about thematically about what this season was about. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, like, I might be the only one saying this, but regardless of how, like, this played out, like, with, you know, like, Navarre and pick pick a pick a planet, okay? But, like, the, regardless of how it, like, played out, like, in just a short amount of time, this this particular quote landed very well for me. Or this, this area, this line of dialogue landed very well for me. And I'm like, I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah, I, I like the theme of connection and disconnection. I don't like how it ties into the burn. I think you could have done this theme, connection, disconnection, and, and the Federation breaking apart some in some different way and still gotten that message across. Because I still think, you know, child loses his mother and is alone, and because of that, he causes the entire universe to become broken is, is kind of dumb as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I do agree. I I like that, that quote, and it's, that seems to be. I mean, I don't think season two ended with a quote from Michael Burnham. Maybe it did. I, I'm not. I can't remember. But I know season one, we've got this big long speech from her, right, right after the Klingon War ended, and now here we get this big long speech from her as well. Mm -hmm. And I think both speeches landed well. I do. I can't remember. Did did season two end with a Michael Burnham speech? I think it ended with a Spock speech, if I if I'm recalling that correctly. 
maybe. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right on that. If if and I'm, <clears throat> I was just talking to to my wife about this um, the other night, last night I think, about like, I'm an extrovert. Like I know introverts. Like you still need, you know, you still need human contact as an introvert. But like, extroverts, like when you don't have like that social aspect, like it really, like wears on you a lot and that's I mean I'm just being vulnerable with you dudes like that's how I've been feeling like I have been feeling disconnected like one of like the one thing that I I loved was was you know having you in town Eric like that was fantastic having you in town and being able to hang out with you for like a day and a half or two Um, but like you know between doing all the going to like all the social gatherings that you might normally go to you can still choose to go to them in this pandemic era that you, that we live in it might not be a smart thing but everything is just so disconnected and we had that disconnect uh with the internet you know and how it's been on the rise with our with air quotes connectivity right but you know you that and adding in this this pandemic like i'm like losing it man like i miss like going to the park or going wherever and just hanging out and doing dumb stuff with people and it's so limiting right now and uh i guess like the only thing that's really been saving my like sanity to an extent has been doing this so don't worry i won't go crazy and you know paint the walls with my feces or anything like that that's not gonna happen i go all howard hughes on us no yeah i was about to say (laughs) (laughs) what are those jars in the background chase (laughs) yeah i mean i mean the the uh the message is the message is good, but what is a message without execution? Because despite the okay, let, let, let's say this. So with the message given about connection, and thinking about the reaction that we all had to the cause of the burn, does it make you feel differently? about the reaction you had when you figured out that it was a, a screaming child on a dilithium planet? Because no, for I- me, it doesn't change my opinion of it. The one thing that I've always loved about, you know, Trek and Star Wars and all this, it's sci-fi. I like having a sci-fi element of things, and sometimes that's a bad guy. Sometimes it's, a, you know, some wild whatever happenstance. So I get it, but I just... I still react the exact same way, excuse me, the exact same way to that reveal, regardless of the message. The message for me would have been better plied if we would have actually spent multiple episodes where we are connecting the rest of this galaxy as opposed to trying to make an action movie or having a two part goodbye episode. Sure. That didn't connect anything. Yeah. That I- terra firma. I, I'm, I'm hoping that this this idea of connection is is what they're going to explore in in season four. You know, yeah, reconnecting. You know, we've been now disconnected, and we spent an entire season basically doing setup for and and like laying down the foundations of this theme. And then season four will be the actual execution of it. But then, to your point, David knowing this theme of connection disconnection my my thoughts on the burn and the cause of it is still really really i think this is a really bad narrative choice like really bad i think 
it almost like it would have been better for me like this is just me i don't know how you guys feel if you know the vulcans and navarre were the cause of the burn like their sb19 to me that would have been a much more interesting story because it's not something nefarious it's you know it was a science experiment what gone wrong and 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 that could even even help more i think explore this theme of connection disconnection because you know vulcans were a founding member of the federation and they were you know earth's closest allies mm-hmm. and and to me that's a more interesting story than random screaming boy who lost his mom and i don't know if david if you ever came up with a name for him you said you were going to figure out a better name than yeah we need that scream, x-men screamy name boy Oh, I I completely completely forgot about that. <laughs> Dang, that's right. I was thinking about that, but no, I don't. I don't have anything else. Dang, memory's not so great. It's all good. It's all good. You know, like the there there was speculation early on about like once we found out like we can't you know zip around like doing warp stuff anymore because of like dilithium and whatnot. There was originally that rumor about omega particles and. Omega being an issue, potentially being like the cause of this, and it wasn't. Um, and I know some people were were on board with it being Omega, others weren't. Would you, would you folks, would you, would you gents have been maybe more okay with with this having been Omega, like bringing that Voyager storyline into this as being the cause of the quote unquote burn? Yeah, because because to me that's that's like an established thing within the universe, and it's also science fiction, right? It goes to this this omega particle, is some science fiction particle, and in order for it to be the cause of it, it would have to be like a science project gone wrong. I mean, I assume somebody could use it in a nefarious way, but in the episode, the Omega Directive, you know, we we find Omega as people are doing a science experiment they're trying to create this to help their society and Mm -hmm. and you know so like to me that would be that again i'm saying that would fit more of the theme of this connection disconnection because hey we're trying to improve our society and we end up doing the exact opposite yeah that makes sense that that would that would have been an interesting an interesting way uh to do things I would have no issue with that. But yeah, I mean, eventually, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like the Vulcan thing a little bit more. Um, and and re- really, for, really for the reason that you have a society that is, that is built on all this logic and rigidity, uh, rigidity and everything, and they're effectively going against core principles for the Federation. And it, it not only... It not only help ex- it helps explain the science gone wrong, but it also helps explain more fracture, and then you could go into a much larger healing of a fracture. Um, and although unification did go a long way to, to help that out, and we were able to help hash out some things, I'm sorry, I still like that episode. It wasn't, you know, to me, I, I understand it, and, and it feels fine to me, but um, yeah. Still, still, screaming child on Dilithium Planet just it just doesn't do it. Just doesn't quite do it for me. And, and so here's the thing that I want to talk about. It's like we're talking, so we are talking about Sukal and, and how Sukal was the cause of the burn. Um, what does it mean now, or, or, or does it not mean anything, for Sukal to now be on Kaminar, 
with Saru and other Kelpians. If he's got this connection to Dilithium and, you know, this reaction, this reactor stuff, is there still this possibility, this very real possibility within this universe for him to cause to do burn 2.0? I, I think they tried to explain it away at the end. I think Culver had some line about, you know, your connection to the planet and and if we get you away from here, this won't happen again because because I, I mean, there's that touching moment at the end when the hollow gets shut off and and Saru becomes Kelpian again and Sakal looks at him, you know, and, and he says, you are like me and they have they have a good moment. And 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 then I Culver comes over and says that line, we get you away from here. And this what my point was, Sukal even says, I was responsible for it. What if this happens again? And then Colbert goes into his thing. If we take you away from here, you know, there's no chance of that happening again. So I, I think I think we're past the point of another burn possibly happening. Yeah, agreed. I think I think it has much more to do with the concentration of Dilithium having an entire Dilithium planet, more so than just his his ability. Because I mean, they they explained it with with the effectively the sonic resonance. So I, I think as an amplification, you have to have a certain critical mass of dilithium in order to engage a sonic resonance that they're talking about through his, his vocalization through it. So I, I, obviously it's not like explained. So it's like, hey, here's the next experiment gone wrong. How much dilithium does it take? You know? <laughs> so this much? This much? <laughs> this big? <laughs> so, so, so I, I think I think we've killed that off effectively, which is fine. I mean, it it is what it is. It's, it's okay. We just have to let it go. Just let it go. Yeah, but I, I also have another question. Hmm. This is this is one dilithium planet, right? <laughs> right. Like how long until this dilithium planet runs out and we're back in the same place that we were where we were when this season started right well, that, I, could, that could be another issue for next season though like uh you know somebody trying to come up with a new means of travel or like uh the uh, trying to do more spore drive and and again i think i i think we talked about this but like having a problem with the mycelial network uh, too many people using it and so on and so forth uh creating yeah we did because creating the similar effect to what happened in next gen for like one episode and then we forgot about it because that didn't work with our plot points anymore <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yeah we had talked about that at, like for quite a bit last episode where you know it um what was it this dilithium will last uh, th this dilithium planet will last like what a hundred lifetimes or something like that mm. um but if everyone like if that was just being used by like the federation or just by being used by the emerald chain again going back to that how long is that really going to last and are we going to be destroying a planet just so we can you know hop around and get takeout you know like <laughs> well I, I think at some point at some point the the plot element of the Zahian queen that was friends with Tilly who could recrystallize dilithium that has to come back doesn't it I mean that's it, yeah, that's too to. like on that's too on point to the idea of 
a, a dilithium scarcity to not at some point pop back up, right? Mm-hmm. I would agree, 100%. Can we, can we talk about how much Federation ships suck? by the way <laughs> like oh hey 50 ships can't take out one ship yeah one ship that's confined inside the car wash and has very little maneuverability what is going on with the federation man what is going on here are they do they have training lasers on what do we what do we got what do we got going on here okay I, whatever uh, this is this is just a nitpick but i just don't like the i don't like how the ships look like the ships are just in my opinion, really friggin' ugly in in this century. Yeah. Did we even see the Voyager J in this episode? Because I know they mentioned it a lot, and I always love a good Voyager mention, but I don't think we actually saw the Voyager, did we? No, we saw the song multiple times, but we didn't see the, the J. I was too busy taking point and not hitting anything, or maybe hitting it, but not hitting it. Well, well the, I think the Voyager was outside firing on Osiris' ship. I think I remember Vance saying, have the Voyager fire on the Viridian. Which, the name the Viridian is is kind of cool to me because that's the the system where um, Generations takes place. The, the, the climax of Generations takes place. The Viridian it, system. It's also one the of Orions the... The just have better names. Like, the, the Emerald Chain, even. Or just the Chain for short. That's like, that's like the coolest, nefarious, like, bad guy name ever. We're the Emerald Chain. The chain. Put the chain around your neck. Literally. Yeah. And figuratively. We can, we can squeeze you to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, honestly, that that was worth that was worth it. That was good. Good stuff. Too bad okay. it's kind so, of over. So let's let's talk more about Federation ships all of a sudden turning into the TARDIS, right? You know about the TARDIS, Eric? I'm aware of it. I've never actually seen it, but I know that it is a thing. It's bigger on the inside. So, so, what the hell is this? We're like, <laughs> like, where? You talk about like, turbo lifts? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. where, where is all of this space? Like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in Star Trek. Like, this is the single most ridiculous thing. Star Trek has ever done. Like, well, I'll I'll ask you guys: Have we ever explained that? Like, has has the show ever explained? I mean, because obviously, like, just like in layman's perspective, oh, it's like an elevator. But no, it's it's not an elevator. It it goes like everywhere. So, are we saying it's like a sequence of tubes? Is it being transported? Uh, which obviously isn't because you have the ride. But like, yeah, in in Discovery, it's like one big open chasm that goes to bays. But even that would seem limiting to certain parts of the ship. Well, here, what? The, it's it, it is supposed to be a series of of tubes that go up and down, left and right throughout the ship that connect. I mean, um, I don't remember seeing. Eric, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing, um, like these the the, the turbo lift tubes the shafts or whatever in TOS era but I do remember seeing them in TNG Voyager era um, especially like um, help me Eric um, episode name where um, Picard is trapped in the turbo lift with oh, the kids yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's, that's called disaster there right? I was just going to mention that he's, he's trapped in that and they have to literally it looks like an elevator shaft that they're climbing yeah. out of 
mm-hmm. and then there's there's I guess in Year of Hell, I think we see people trapped in some some turbo lifts and they have to climb out and they look like elevator shafts. And I always assumed that they went up and down, but that you could also go like sideways as well, mm-hmm. right? And so that way, okay, I need to go from the bridge down to engineering. So I can go down, but then I also have to like the once I go down, the turbo lift can go sideways somehow. So that way I don't have to then walk 500 meters or however long the ship yeah. is, right? So so move, move like a rook, not like a bishop type yeah, of deal? Yeah, move like, move like a rook, you know, side to side, <laughs> Up straight and down, line. Left, right. yeah. I need an L shape. No no diagonals. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like there's, I can't remember where it was, and I, I don't have it on me right now, but there's a, a technical manual that I'd read at one point where it does depict the up and down, left and right nature of the turbo lift system so but not a giant open chasm no not this bigger on the inside into darkness tardis fight scene at all like that honestly like if i'm being honest like when i saw that i was like you gotta be freaking kidding me like this like the fight scene in the the turbo land whatever just it totally reminded me of of the the fight with Khan and Spock in Into Darkness. Like that's all I could think about the entire time was this is Khan and where, Spock all over again. Where they're like jumping on transports out in the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty bad. But I mean, I mean, listen, we get Azara death here, which obviously we all knew was happening. But like, is this the only way we know how to kill the bad guys? To like kick them off a cliff because we, yeah, we did that to Disney death. We did that to, to Narissa, uh, our, our Lieutenant Rizzo person. Like she got kicked off a cliff basically at the end of Picard. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. Sorry. And now here we're just kicking, kicking Zara off a cliff. Like, is that the only way we know how to kill somebody? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Or the Gaston death as well. Just, just, or snipe him in the head. One of the two. Well, okay. So, but that's the thing. Now, Osira was shot, but do we know that she's dead? Yes, yes, we do. Because at the end, at the end, Michael Burnham says that without Osira, uh, the chain fractured. Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't be surprised if we see her again. Is all I'm saying. I, I'm I not. I, hey, I'm not one to doubt Michael Burnham, but I'm just saying that like. Her death was. If you really wanted to show her death, you do the you do the abdomen shot. You do you do the abdomen shot. The eyes wide. And you drop and you're dead. Headshots you can't show, or well you can, but the, you don't traditionally show because that's kind of gross. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's a little bit of too much gratuitous violence for a lot of people to 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 okay. Don't be surprised if she doesn't return with like a prosthesis or something. Well, well, well. I mean, these these weapons that they were using are the same ones that like just vaporize Rin in the, in the, in the episode like ago. So I don't think these things have a stun setting. I think they have like kill well, it, you it had a, a kill you setting and a vaporize you setting. Well, it had a, it had a blue it had a blue a blue bolt and then it had a red one. So I'm a, maybe the blue is stun and or not. I don't know. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if we see her again. If is they, all is all I'm saying. She's like, probably dead. Kill Don't somebody be and be happy with your decision, right? Don't bring them back. <laughs> I mean, apparently they did. They did that with uh, freaking Jadzia. Is that too soon? 
that I mean, soon. Jadzia died. Like, I know. Her, her species and Dax can live on. I know. Jadzia died. That's what I'm saying. Like, kill him and be happy that you killed him. Be happy with yeah. the decision. Yeah. yeah. No, but, but, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just... That would be one that I wouldn't be surprised it comes back. But yeah, you should kill him and be ha- and be happy with it. Uh, like Gray. Okay, yeah, oh wait, like, oh, oh, oh like, let me reel on. that one back. Hold in. on, sorry. Oh, oh. We'll get we'll get to Gray later. Hold on, I want I want to keep on Osiris if if it's okay. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. Okay, so this is a very anticlimactic death. Like Osiris was built up to be our big bad the entire season, and I even questioned last week. Hey, was dealing with the Emerald Chain really the A plot of this season and the burn the B plot? But this was very anticlimactic here, and and all of like the character growth that we saw in her the last episode, you know, like totally went away, and she went back to just comic book mustachio twirling villain in this episode, and so like. Like it was really, it was, it didn't work for me at all. But then I also have to say, okay, Osira died. She was the leader of the Emerald Chain, and and last episode, always, you know, we learned the Emerald Chain really wasn't a crime syndicate. It was like much more than that. It had a Congress. It had people. It had laws that needed support of the people. And and I want to make a parallel to to Star Wars here. So. When you kill the leader of some political entity, that political entity doesn't just disappear, right? I mean, they said the chain fractured without Osira, and it seems like we're going to leave the Emerald Chain in the past. But when you kill the Emperor, the Empire doesn't just disappear. I mean, that's the whole point of, you know, the aftermath, and we see in The Mandalorian and the sequel trilogy. Like, it still exists. And if 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 they are just going to wipe away the emerald chain here say without osira the chain fractured and it's nothing more and there's there's no aftermath for lack of a better word this is a terrible decision yeah the, the imperial remnant was actually in some ways much worse than just having the emperor in control and that's normally what happens you have you know you have Lieutenants. Even if you're a complete dictator, you have lieutenants. You have people that are carrying out your orders who, by nature, are going to lust for their own power. Sure. So they now they assume it. So for the chain to just completely fracture because their figurehead's gone, it wasn't a very good chain, was it? It wasn't high-carbon steel. It was just, you know, it was made out of some rubber plastic or something, plastic <laughs> chain. Yeah, and now you have you have all of these these people who run these these mercantile exchanges, right? They're you think think of them like right. your regional governors in Star Wars, right? They they now become local warlords in a sense, with with no one to to watch over them, and so like the chain can't just disappear overnight because of this, especially no. because it has a Congress and people and laws that need the support of the people. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to, to bring up, because we were talking about, like, all this action-y stuff, the shooting, the jumping, the kicking, and everything like that. Um, there are uh, two, one, maybe two quotes that I kind of want to go over for just a second, if my computer will actually work. Uh, okay, so these are quotes by Gene Roddenberry. Okay. Great Bird of the Galaxy um, said this. I wanted to send a message to the television industry that excitement is not made of car chases. And he also said this, it has become a crusade of mine to demonstrate that TV need not be violent to be exciting. 
So, of course, things started to change after his passing, you know, with uh, the way that stories are being told. And I think uh, Deep Space Nine was the biggest change for him, or for, for Star Trek, um, following his, his death. But now we have this current era of Trek, where it's it's all about shooting and flash and chasing ships and explosions and things like that. And we have no way of knowing what how he would think or feel about this. But when we when we talk about like the the USS TARDIS uh, being and it being bigger on the inside, you're welcome. You're welcome, David. You're welcome. Um, where we're jumping and we're chasing around like in a turbo shaft or whatever and shooting in the head and vaporizing and things like that. What do you think? What what do you think, like, as we talk about this in the context of what Gene is saying? Well, I mean, Gene arguably said that in in the 60s, and, and, you know, our television television landscape has changed, and, and what people are interested in changes, but... So and so you see a lot of the popular shows that that appeared in our golden age of television. You know, our our Twenty Four, our Dexter, our Game of Thrones. A lot of these shows were were very action action heavy, and people really liked. But I, I mean, we still had a lot of good shows in that golden era of television, like The West Wing and and Mad Men, and that were not you know action driven shows. So I, I definitely think we we can do that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, what is the start? When did we start Star Trek turning into like an action franchise? Did it, is it J.J. Abrams' 2009 Trek? Is that when it happened? I mean, did it happen with Deep Space Nine? I mean, I think Deep Space Nine isn't really an action show. Yes, there are big action moments, but I, I would definitely not consider it an action show. Or did it did it start before then? I mean, with the Wrath of Khan and, and like the, the TOS movies, you know, like, Wrath of Khan, some might argue that's an action movie. I, I know there's a lot more to it than that. Um, First Contact is essentially an action movie. I mean, I know there's a lot more to it than that, but I mean, Star Trek has been moving toward toward action for a long time, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think in a lot of cases, certain things might need a little bit of jazz of action in there, um, because as you... It, it, I was thinking more of the movies that kind of club that in there a bit more than the than the series but I mean despite the fact that you know Starfleet isn't exactly fully military organization they still have a military component you know they still have phasers they still have ships with weapons on them we still have space battles at times we still have chase we still have boarding and stuff like that so that sort of stuff does happen um, but I think I think with Trek you you have a balance out point where you're where you're still having the discovering and the finding new worlds and you know braving territory and uh, discovering problems. It's like a puzzle. You know, you have puzzles to solve, uh, like a, like an old video game. You know you, you have to solve this puzzle to get to this that and the other. So you, you put thought, you put a right. thoughtfulness into it. But I'll also say this: normally when all you're doing is highlighting action. It's because you have pretty poor characters. And I don't want to be general about that, but 
in my opinion, a lot of times when you overaction stuff, it's, okay, let me put it to you this way. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Now, have you ever stopped to say to yourself when you've watched any of The Rock's movies, man, this is a cinematic masterpiece and he deserves an Oscar for it? No, it's Moana. not meant for that. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to have action. It's meant to, you know, goofy, big, steroided muscle guy. Well, he doesn't take steroids or so he says, but whatever. That There's a genre for that, but there's also a genre for the thinking, the thinking uh, piece of things. You guys remember Beautiful Mind? The Russell Crowe movie. I love that movie. Granted, you know, he was schizophrenic, but there was so much like thought into that. So you, you can have both. You can have your cake and eat it too. But when you go full action with with without regard to whether your weapon's on stun or on kill, it's usually because, again, in my, this is just my opinion, but it's usually because you have a, a pretty poor character or a poor plot. And you just have to jazz it up a little bit more. I think that I think so, the thing that that I think Star Trek has always done, and and I think this this even includes um, TOS. I mean, we still had like the the cowboy diplomacy, you know, like the like the punching in the face and the Kirk Fu and everything like that. I mean, that that was that was fine, but we had we had issues. We had science. We had stuff that was leading the way, and action. I felt like was following behind it like in tandem so to speak um if anything it was maybe like i mean can i can i just say it this way it was like what 75 85 percent thought and science and the remaining was like the action component and i think there might have been like perhaps and these are arbitrary numbers of course but like you you get into the movies um, especially wrath of khan moving forward and like maybe they're moving a little bit closer to one another but still it's it's thought it's deliberate intentional science and consideration of stuff that's still leading the charge and look i don't want to completely dog jj because i think jj did do some good to an extent and what i mean by that is he as much as we dog him for what the movies are he brought star trek back Okay, after after years of not having anything, but I think in bringing it back, that percentage that I'm kind of just arbitrarily assigning numbers to has switched, and I feel like that's been part of the Bible that's of of the show and Star Trek moving forward, in terms of like the formula that we use. Like now it's, you know, seventy, eighty, some odd percent action with maybe some science and some insightful thinking following behind. Um, I don't know how much you guys would agree or disagree with that, but that's just kind of how I'm seeing it. And I, I wish we could, even if we move, even if we got to like a, a 60, 40 of action and science, I think I could be more okay with it, but it's just, it's just too much like shoot 'em up explosion stuff. And I just, I want, I want to be able to think again and like, not be like, not sound like I'm a gatekeeper or a troll because I'm like, well, that that can't that crap can't happen. Like that's what Star Trek was about. I mean, people went into like STEM and other sorts of things because of Trek. That's not to say that they aren't now, but like, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but it's no, well, you 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 have a point, but we also have to consider the fact that 
you know, as I, I made mention before before we started recording, I've always felt like I was in a weird generational gap between an old way and a new way. And because I can see both, I can acclimate, but I can't always agree with either or. And unfortunately today, for the audience of that 18 to 25-year-old, which we're not in anymore, we're, no. not, we're not 25 years old anymore, um, but in that, in that coveted region, we have TikTok, we have short-form video, short-form sketch comedy, uh, bite-sized tidbits, uh, sound bites, and we're not always capturing the entire story. So when you're trying to sell something, because let's break it down, it's all capitalism, baby. It's all about trying to make some money and get it out to the widest audience you can. We've, we are losing that thought puzzle stuff because that's not what that's not what the younger generation is being exposed to now. It's not necessarily because they don't want it. They're just not conditioned to know why it can be rewarding. And that's the same thing with video games. You know, when, when we grow when we were growing up, like I remember playing the Sega Genesis. Sega Genesis didn't have, at least in the in the beginning, didn't have games that saved. So you had to play them to completion. You had to go the entire story. You couldn't cheat your way through things. I mean, there were granted some games that you could cheat to the end, but whatever, that's irrelevant. <laughs> but I'm just saying you had to work through the puzzles. You had to work through this game. And sometimes you had to restart, which is actually amazing why Dark Souls is still so popular with people today, because it is like the most maddening game you'll ever play. You have to continue, restart, go back, get your souls, restart, die, whatever. It's, it's figuring out the, the puzzle. So that might be a little bit of a, you know, a caveat to what I'm saying, but y you see it everywhere now. The thought puzzle thing just isn't in vogue. It will be eventually because people will get tired of it. They'll get tired of the short form. Eventually folks will get tired of not hearing the entire story. At least that's my hope. Um, but right now we're in a very soundbite environment. So it, it kind of kills shows like that. Yeah. I would also say just to add on to this, that when, when you have the television show, like the original series, like, yeah, yeah, it's about capitalism and trying to, to reach a mass audience, but, but you've also got an audience. And then when you make a movie, you're not necessarily just trying to to cater to your audience. Like movies are designed to bring in a much broader audience, maybe people who aren't even necessarily fans of the show. And I think one of the ways in which they tried to do that was to up the action, right? I know like Star Trek The Motion Picture, which it, I think is the most Star Trek of all of the movies, right? It's boring it is long <laughs> and slow right and I, I don't know how and i don't know how successful it was as a movie I, I mean i'm sure it was it was very successful if it kind of like you know brought back you know interest in in the the franchise but like the wrath of khan is is almost universally regarded as the best star trek movie and and i think there's a reason why because it appealed to a much broader audience because it did have more action in it and it wasn't necessarily just you know focused on the thinking aspect of it and so like when jj abrams was bringing star trek back after i mean it was only gone for four years i mean let's not say it was gone for a long time enterprise ended in 2005 and that yeah. movie was in 2009 mm -hmm. so it's not like it was gone for a decade 
But I mean, I mean, you bring it back, and you have to, and if you're bringing back the franchise, you have to try to not just appeal to the core audience, but you have to try to appeal to a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked. So, we yeah. Go ahead. No, I was about to say so about that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing else about this episode that I will say is we have we have the the bridge crew in their their desperate attempt to not run out of air. Which um, I, the only thing I have to say about this is I was expecting one of them to die. Like I really was. I just and I thought yeah. maybe it was gonna be that random no name lieutenant that just popped up like last episode. Like who is this? Like that's a red shirt if I've ever seen one. But. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe it could be Detmer because, you know, there's this thing I watch, you know, Survivor and some other reality TV. And we talk about the visibility bump, right? Whenever a character that, you know, gets a visibility bump that seems to come out of nowhere, there's a chance that person is, is getting voted off or going home. And so we got this visibility bump with Detmer earlier in this season that, like, was resolved basically just, oh, she admitted there was a problem and it went away, right? which is, like let's explore that some more so i thought maybe it could be Mm -hmm. detmer going home not going home but but dying and then it was like it was going to be a wusakun and i was like the only thing i felt when a wusakun was dying and this is a big failure of the show is that i'm not going to get to say her name anymore like i i I, like when this this is our bridge crew this is like who we should be caring about like the the thing that went through my mind was oh my god not was not oh my god we're gonna lose this great character like the thought that went through my mind was oh my god i'm not gonna get to say her name anymore and i think that's a big big failure and i I just i didn't care like i really really didn't care that like our bridge crew was like gonna suffocate to death and that's a big failure of this show see the 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 bridge crew that or the crew members I don't really give a crap about at this point are uh, Bryce and Reese because I don't know them. I mean, granted, we don't really know any of the bridge crew that well, but like, I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna disagree with you to an extent, Eric. Like with when a Wusakun was there in the nacelle taking the bomb, and you know she's this luddite like part of like this luddite collective that can hold their breath for you know ten minutes or whatever. And I was like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't kill a Wusakun, please don't. And then I see her like kind of falling down like and everything. And like, dude, I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of like tearing up a little bit with her and like what was going on. Like, I did not want to lose a Wusakun. If we lost Detmer, I'd be more okay with that personally, but not a Wusakun. And, and I want, I'll say this, and I know you wanted to say something, David. So I, I had to look this up, but a Luddite, um, according to Memory Alpha, um, some humans lived in Luddite collectives in which they lived in uh, with limited technology. So the fact that she lived in this limited technology collective of sorts and she's an operations officer, which operations officer, it means that you essentially have to be like a technological expert, I think is very interesting. But why, why am I not hearing about that in the show? Why am I having to read that on Memory Alpha? It's because you don't have enough episodes. How many times do I have to tell you? You know, you know, as you were as you were describing her, though, who I immediately brought to mind was Travis from Enterprise. 
Yeah, Travis Mayweather. You know, yeah. he 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 was. You know, uh, what did they call him? Uh, boomer. Didn't they call space, him boomers? Space, boom, space boomer. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, for some reason, I kind of made the the parallel a bit. You know, just when we when we start talking about backgrounds, now they're not necessarily similar, but for some reason, that's where my mind went. And you know what, Chase? You better hope I don't come down to Texas anytime soon. Let's not disrespect Detmer, okay? Because she is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I was advocating for an entire episode for her earlier on. Um, no, so a, a couple of things that bug me. One, wh- why did it take so long to turn off life support? Uh, two, if you had this whole plan that you needed to do, why did you stand around talking and wasting air to do it? Uh, and, and, and three, yeah, I don't really care about many of the other crewmen. Uh, Wusakun's moment I thought was, was fine. Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I had it quite, quite the Eric reaction or, or the chase reaction. I think I was kind of in the middle about it, but it's so much because we didn't build any of these people up. The, and what, what the hell did the, the bots do? just like run interference to get blown up like what good uh, aside from obviously carrying a Wusakun back what else did they do did, they didn't have like little guns did they they, they weren't like running up and like clawing people to death Mm-mm. so it seemed like to me all they did was run interference yeah which like yeah. the mighty sphere data that that you know you know couldn't be erased wouldn't allow the self-destruct feature to to work what you tried to shoot it with a torpedo and it nope nope like like this should do more but again i I said this last week is this all-powerful sphere data coming in to save the the day at the end is that a day ex machina and that's just why they avoided it okay let me also ask you this because the 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 first reaction i had to their their little nacelle plan here because they were using an explosive this is Starfleet. They couldn't have done something like I, I know. I know that a lot of the codes were locked out, but you have these sphere robots. You couldn't have somehow, somehow like, computered your way into this at mm-hmm. all. Like we had to have a bomb. Yeah, and and one other thing, don't we have detached nacelles now? How do we get to the nacelle if it's detached? So, okay, I'm going to ask a question about the nacelle because <laughs> I, I think I missed something. But so part of what we were trying to do was, like, get the heck out of warp, right? So we go in, we put a little little explosion up in the nacelle land that's detached, by the way, and it detaches. Okay, it's like kind of like flopping around in space now. And then we get swallowed up by the Viridian. And now all of a sudden the nacelle is reattached and we can do warpy flying in space stuff without any issue. Did I, did I miss something? They fixed it. I mean, Quickly. I get, uh, unless the, unless like the programmable matter that was like holding the nacelle partly on, like dangling by a thread somehow managed to fix it. I, that's the only thing that I can think of. We, 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 we reset factory settings, which means that we're not using, <laughs> we're not using <laughs> <laughs> we're not using programmable matter anymore. We're having to go old school. So programmable matter is not working, but yet we have a nacelle that's reattached. Something ain't adding right, dudeskies. 
Yep. No, All I, you have to do is clear that cache and cookies and turn it off and turn it back on again. <laughs> oh, and by the way, nice, uh, nice a track wall there. The, 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 like the control, I guess are control chips in this. Mm -hmm. They look, they look like a, like an a track wall. It's like, okay. And then you're, what, what, what the hell was the, the chip? What was this? The the wall that Osira pushed Burnham into? Like I think that was just programmable matter. Is that, that what tried. it is? I think so. I was like, did like did Osira expect that to kill her? Like she definitely did. But like yeah, what I don't know. What well, that she was. goes out and like spits up what looks like you know like chips or something. I, I, and, I and why is the whole place like statically charged? What is going I, on with their memory core? I don't, I don't know. know. But 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 but. When we get into this memory core, like when we first get like the shot, like they're they do like a wide shot and they're kind of like pushing in and stuff, dude. I was like, I swear to God, if an X-wing comes through and blows that reactor, <laughs> uh, stay on target, or the Millennium Falcon, one of the two. Yeah, you know? my goodness. Okay, so, so speaking of like things that don't make sense and weird technology, <laughs> all right. So so. When we're our, our plan when we get swallowed up by the Viridian is to eject the warp core, okay? And I don't think we've ever actually seen the warp core on the ship because I, I, as far as I know, we've never seen it like in engineering. I don't think so. Um, but like, okay, so we've seen the warp core be ejected. Famously, there's a Voyager episode where they have to eject it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of the hand, but like, when the warp core is being ejected, it tilts to the side and bumps around and causes yeah. sparks to fly like uh, that doesn't seem very safe, safe. to me like it's highly mean, volatile it, it should like drop in a very nice orderly way shouldn't it yeah put put that thing on some rollers or something <laughs> yeah. like that you know i mean we don't have to have anti-grav or anything just put it on some rollers and, you know <laughs> that that Honest, I'm glad you said that because I forgot. That made zero sense to me. Like that's I mean, somebody who just wanted to like have make something it look, weird. Make it happen. look cool. Make it look cool. I guess. It was a cool explosion, though. I did sure. actually like their. It almost looked like an implosion, almost. Yeah. So that was that was a nice bit of CGI, but <sighs> anyway. And then and then one more thing, I guess. The book of it all. We haven't mentioned Cleveland Booker in this episode. So, Book can operate the spore drive now. Like, that came out of nowhere. Is that the whole purpose of the Transworm story? Like, Book could communicate with the Transworms and the Sea Locusts? Was that only reason for that? So we could get to this moment here to set him up to be a new spore drive navigator? You know what? That It does bring up kind of an interesting thought, though. Mm. So, in... Um if, if you go back and read some of the Thrawn books for uh, Star Wars, they live in a section of space where they have to have navigators in order to get through, uh, which are their Force-sensitive Chiss children called Skywalkers that maneuver their ships through their sight, which is the Force, but they don't really view it that way. Uh, like the Jedi, they're not Jedi. They, anyway, blah, blah, blah. They eventually lose a sight. They can't pilot forever, but that's the whole thing. So you're almost setting up to have like books, folks be like your navigators. Cause if you were to replicate the spore drive, right, you're going to have to have some way to pilot it. And as of right now, it's, it has to have like a biological 
navigator mm-hmm. to navigate them through the mycelial network, right? So it's like, dang, we just got in demand. We're we're gonna be navigating all the ships. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it, it it's almost in a sense it's like in Dune how how in order to we essentially have if you've never read Dune, but we essentially have to fold space, but we have to have this like prescient ability to look into the future to like be able to see where we're going and the only way we can do this is by ingesting the spice from the planet of dune and that's why the planet of dune is the most important planet in the entire galaxy and and these these they have they're called navigators the spacing guild navigators who like consume this spice and it basically like turns them into like these horrible despicable creatures when they ingest this spice and and I mean, that's why Dune is important. So now is the planet of Quajon going to become like a plant that people fight over when we're trying to replicate this this spore technology? It's an interesting thought. And maybe we can push Stamets out the door, right? We don't need Stamets anymore. Liter- we got Book. Literally. Literally, like, push him. Push like, him out the door. We already door. did it. We already did it, so... But do you think? Yeah. But but if if he is gonna be this force sensitive, animal speaking dude, right? Do you think that they're actually gonna commission him now? I mean, because he's he's back on he's back on. Do you think they'll actually well, commission he, him as like a science he, or or operations division person? Well, like if you look at the end when they all come out in their fancy new uforms, right? Which they should have been in those already, right from the beginning when they when they it's met the Federation. It's about connection, Eric. Right? What did right? we get about the earlier conversation? So, like, like Adira <laughs> is wearing Adira is wearing a uniform, mm-hmm. but Book is not. Mm-hmm. So I guess she yeah. like abandoned her commission as an inspector with the Earth Defense Force, and now she's Starfleet. I think she did that a long time ago. It, make, it makes sense that she's Starfleet. I, I was well. How many times we all have done it? It's like why didn't she have at least like a Wesley Crusher uniform with the to, rainbow the shoulders? Start? Yeah. But I, I think I think book becomes really ambiguous, and you know I, I think back to a lot of um, I, well, you guys have read, you've read books, you've watched television, you've seen movies. You're not uncultured swine. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean it's it, it's always going to be a common trope with the love interest, the ambiguous love interest, where are they here? Are they not here? They're gone today, here tomorrow. And because, yeah, he, he wasn't in a uniform and because you still have Stamets, they're not going to push him out despite they, you know, him and Burnham have their little hissy fit together and everything and, you know, yada, yada, yada. It does make it kind of kind of like how does he fit in they're never they never really seem to like want him to fit in to the show despite the fact that i like him but you can't just like jump him in it's like oh he's first officer well he's only first officer because he's wink wink nod nod with the captain (laughs) so i don't know what you do with him i feel like he's going to be off doing his own thing in next season if he's there at all which kind of sucks because i actually like him he is part of the cast moving forward for season four and so is uh, Blue, right? Yeah, Blue Delario. Blue Delario. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I mean, that's good. I mean, but, I mean, he wants to. I mean, he, he, he said he read a technical manual so, or a field manual or whatever. So, I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not? Commission the dude. I, make him a cadet. I like him. 
I still like him. I think I think you could put a part in for him. I just think right. I think with everything, it's it's a little difficult. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we've we've jumped all over the place. We've gone like way out of order on things, and that's totally fine. Uh, I think maybe something worth discussing that I think we kind of hit the pause button on was was gray and and she's able to be seen on a hollow ship but not in real life okay let me let me just say this okay first and foremost there's the obvious about the trill and now we're effectively writing in that all those past personalities are somehow alive and they're trapped in limbo which i don't i don't like that but i'll also say this and i don't like this either but not for the reason people might think there's your clickbait uh, i don't like this scene with 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 gray because it is leading up to a central message and the whole thing is is that it should have been done way better you you're, you're trying to give exposure to the non-binary to the transgender to all this stuff and all you did was you gave her a line and I'm sorry I don't remember the line but basically something about not being seen and all this stuff and it's very clear that you you're, you're making the illusion to that that identity not being seen not the character not being seen we know the character can't be seen but it feels like you're using some part of trill that you're not going to explain you're you're i feel like they won't even further it to make that make her a, a real boy or something not to cause a clash in terms there it's a pinocchio thing but i'm just saying that you should have they should have done, if you're going to send the message in support of that, just do it. Just do it and don't do this half, half crap. Because to me, it felt like more of a pander than attempting to really convey the support. Just support it or don't. Yeah, it's yeah. black and white. It yes. really it really is. So this, this, is a, this is a very delicate situation because I don't want anyone to like accuse us of being like anti at all. But like in my opinion, Gray is the LVP, least valuable player of this season. A really um, worthless character. Like, and and I mean that worthless in a sense that they added nothing to the story, as far as I'm concerned. Like, when Gray shows up here in the in the Hollow, I thought that Gray was gonna have to do something, right? And I was like, okay, yeah. Gray is going to do something. There's going to be a reason for this character to exist. And as far as I'm concerned, the only reason for this character to exist is representation. And and listen, representation is important, but I don't think representation just for the sake of representation exactly. is important. I think that it has to be representation, and you have to be able to do something at that point. And yeah, the line there is when Gray shows up and, and Culver says, Gray? And he, and Gray and Gray goes, you can see me. And then, and then later on, when when like the hollow was coming crashing down, Culver then says, like, don't worry, we'll do everything we can to make sure you're seen. And and I understand, like, we have to like, like the the people in our real world, this LGBTQIA plus community, like, you know, they feel marginalized. A lot of people in that, and we have yeah. to we is our society have to see them. 
but we can't just see them to see them. They have to like, there has to be a reason for this character to exist. And I'll just, one more thing, This I have my Michelle Paradise quote again, right? Where she says, representation matters. It matters to see a version of yourself on screen. It matters there are non-binary and transgendered characters. It matters that there is a black woman in the captain's chair. It matters that there is a gay couple on our show. We will continue to do that for our show and the world we live in, but also to honor Star Trek legacy. And to be super clear, we will pay that moment off in season four. Gray will be seen. That promise will be paid off. So that, that's from Michelle Paradise. That's a quote that I, I as I was looking at for this episode. And so it seems like she's saying that Gray will become an important character and will have something to do later on. And, and at, there's no reason for your character to exist if they don't do something. Yeah. Yeah, but d- doesn't, that, doesn't that kind of unravel an entire lore of a species? If you're, yes, if you're yes, going to it somehow like bring this... I, I mean, I assume we're all thinking they're actually going to physically bring this character back. But how do you do that when they're literally just a latent personality within the symbiote? I don't know. It existed. It showed up in a hollow. Do we do something like the Moriarty's, the Moriarty stuff from from TNG, yeah, like it just, do, the, it just a, a sentient, sentient hologram? And I mean, I mean, um, the Doctor's mobile emitter, right, was a 29th century piece of technology. We're in the 32nd yeah. century, so the mobile emitter, like, do we? Are we able to do something like that? Yeah, and and I guess and I guess some some of my statement probably jumps the gun a little bit, and maybe it's a little bit of impatience. But I'm 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 one of those people that it's like actions speak louder than words, and if you're going to do something, just do it. You know, as long as you you know you have the right of it, just do it. So as far as having the non-binary, the transgender, the gay couples. That's great. I mean, let it happen. Just let it happen. But I, I just, my hope is, is that we didn't have all this, like, you know, whatever this is to just have a one liner in a season finale of an episode. Mm-hmm. So if you're, but if you're going to bring them back, make sure that you like make sense of it. Don't do this nonsensical non-science crap that we've done this season. Like, please write a, a real explanation as to why that that is possible. Because everything we know of the Trill is that, you know, uh, we had the, the, the Jentara with, with, with Jedzia uh, displaying the personality so that they could speak and understand each other, but they weren't necessarily real. They're just, they're a part of you. They're not like their own separate entity, despite the fact that, you know, we had a little bit of um, Curzon, you know, kind of take over Odo and yada, yada, yada. Right. But, but I, we- I don't know. We I also just, had I want, that episode with. We also there. had that episode with Esri in in the last season where she was able to like do some ceremony and bring out the personality, and she could like. And we saw we saw the physical. I'm, it it wasn't a real physical <laughs> person that existed in the real world, but she was able to interact with it somehow separately, and and maybe that's some we can explain it in some in universe way without destroying the lore of the trill. I still don't understand how Adira can, as a human, can can be host to a trill and not have there be long-term repercussions because we saw it basically kill 
kill Will Riker almost. And and that's the whole reason why Ezri even had to take the symbiote because she was the only right. the only trill on board that particular ship. If you could just put it into anybody, I, I don't know. And and, yeah. may, and maybe this I don't this isn't gonna, meant to explain it away, but you know, she's human. I'm sorry, they are human. Um, Adira is is human, as we're led to believe, and with Adira being human, I mean we don't know apart from what we apart from what we do know, like with like Will Riker for example, of what a Trill symbiont does this far in the future. So maybe because it is a human Trill connection now, like maybe the Trill symbionts have have evolved over time, like with their their past selves so to speak, to where that there's some kind of chemical something, something that is making it easier for it to bond with, like, something beyond a human. Or, or, or sorry, beyond um, a trill. So, and maybe that's why Grey is manifesting in the manner in which they're manifesting. I don't know. I mean, well, I, And that's the point, though. It has to be explained in order for it to actually make long-term logical yeah. sense. Yeah. You have to come up with that. You have to write that. Cause like, and that, what, that, takes mean, a skilled, that takes a skilled writer, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, I mean, if that were the case, then Jadzia and Curzon and, you know, Tobin and whomever else could have just hopped into a holodeck or a holosuite and said, computer, read my brain, and boom, past selves show up. But you're you're supposed to be learning like the 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 ho the current host is supposed to be learning and having all these experiences from the past selves and like is Adira still blocked off like yeah she went to the spaghetti warehouse and like met the circle and, they, and stuff yeah they welcomed her into the circle <laughs> yeah so yeah we, we didn't we didn't actually see any of like Adira use any of like the past knowledge. Or experiences from these trill like yeah are, are they blocked off but but then I go back to the episode where we first met Adira and and she's able to basically like shut down all of the things on the ship and 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 she's like the mechanical genius or whatever and we were led to believe that those was not her abilities that was doing that but it was you know Senatal's abilities that were doing that so I'm really confused upon like what Adira is at this point well, another thing too, though, doesn't this kind of harken back to a Picard thing where it's about almost like an immortality? Because it, it, if you can bring back these people, then conceivably, when do when do you face your immortality? As a trill, you technically wouldn't. It would be a fountain of youth. If you somehow, I mean, are we honestly saying that their entire consciousness and soul? Uh, we've talked about this. I don't like the concept of life without a soul. Are we saying that their entire essence, their soul, is strictly trapped in this symbiote? That, to me, seems like one of those like metaphysical, sort of ethical, moral dilemmas that I don't think this show can explain enough to me, for me to make sense of it. I think that's one of those ethical, moral, moral <laughs> dilemmas that Star Trek is the place to explore. But like I said, yeah. I don't think this show with these writers and these producers are capable of doing that. Sure. Do y'all uh, have anything else that you want to explore and talk about before we move into um, assessing this? 
I think we've covered it pretty well. Okay. So let's move into our evaluation, our assessment phase of this show. Uh, first part is the Delta, where we look at the different divisions of, Star, of uh, Starfleet and how they might be represented in this show. That's command slash leadership, that's science, and also operations slash engineering. So um, do we see it? Do we see this stuff showing up is really what we're asking. Do we see good leadership? Do we see science? Do we see good te- um, other technical and engineering, you know, STEM type stuff coming, coming through? So uh, with that, Eric, what do you think about about your Delta evaluation of this episode? Well, if we go back to um, the the hollow ship, right? We said a couple weeks ago, this was like a good feat of science and a good feat of engineering. And, and we still have that here. I know it's breaking down, but it's breaking down after working for 125 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm still gonna like commend um, Dr. Isa and whoever possibly helped her um, build that hollow ship and all those programs so there's i'm gonna commend that but um as far as what we're seeing on the discovery like that was just an action piece right i know you know we had to you know come up with a science way to blow up the the nacelle but that that doesn't fit really well with me that's not real science and engineering um uh so I mean I'll, I'll I'll give it credit for the hollow ship part, but not for anything else really. Um, leadership, uh, you know, I said last week I I was very, you know, I was very high on Michael Burnham last week. I thought that was probably the best leadership she's ever showed last week, and and I still think um, she's being a good leader here. I mean I think she was like she was able to figure everything out. Um, you know, we, we didn't have Admiral Vance really in this episode other than, you know, all ships fire on the on the Discovery. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we had him a little bit at the end where I'm not really sure how I feel about Michael Burnham becoming the captain. But, I mean, we'll see. We'll see how she does. Well, obviously, we'll see whenever this show comes back. Um, so, science and technology, engineering, operations, yes, I'll give each of those. Um, leadership, maybe like a half. Okay. David? Um, yeah, I mean, science, I, I, th- I think I'm just to the point where, you know, we're just not in a science vessel anymore. And it was a whole lie that they can do hundreds of thousands of science experiments per minute. Uh, I think they're talking about typing. I just think they're really fast typists. So probably doing 40 to 50 words per minute because I don't believe they're doing science. So, I I mean, I don't, yeah, hollow, whatever. It is what it is. But it's like, I just just don't necessarily see that. Engineering, I mean, engineering, depending on, on your point of view, would make a little bit more sense for a Delta this week. And only because we're, we're seeing more of the sort of the internal of the ship. Now, whether it actually makes feasible sense or not is kind of where you have to dispute that. Sure. Uh, because, like, the turbo lift thing, does it make sense? No. But was it explained? Kind of. Uh, the memory core, does it make sense? Eh. I mean, you have a wall of microchippy matter stuff. 
that, sure, it works, uh, I guess. That's engineering. Um, Jet Reno's in there for a whole five seconds, you know, welding back together a robot. So uh, I, I guess that's engineering. They were able to save one bot. Uh, so, I mean, I'll, I'll give it like a half just because, like, despite that it doesn't necessarily make 100% sense sense, it was, like, attempting to do it. Um, leadership, you know, <clears throat> I think that, I think that, you know, despite Michael's catchphrasey in some portions overacted stuff, you know, she's, she's still, she's still acting, you know, very much from a place of command uh, you know, giving a little sass to Osira, um, giving a, an actual plan to Tilly through code, um, you know, given experience and stuff, which we've seen in the past, um, and sort of leading folks around to retake the ship, which was successful. And then even Tilly at the end there, where Michael was kind of attempting to pass the chair back on to her, it's like, no, you know, we all know we're going to follow you. So just take the damn chair. Uh, you know, so in a way, that's her own sort of, you know, uh, kind of tidbit into that, realizing that, you know, she she's not the captain here and, and she knows the chain of command and, and how it's going to work. So from there, I mean, I'll, I'll give it I'll give it like a I mean, I'll give it I'll give it the command delta. I'm fine with that. But, you know, it's like a, so like one and a half or one and a one and a quarter. I don't know. One and a third, maybe. We'll give it one and a half. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for me, um, I see. I mean, I see engineering, perhaps the most. I mean, I, I see like the most, like more like the technical stuff going on, you know, with the the TARDIS elevators and things like that. And that's not going to get old, by the way. Um, but yeah, the TARDIS elevators. The you should have had the theme, the theme music, you know, to go oh, along with it. You're hearing it right now. I mean, it's it's happening right now. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I'm I'm seeing seeing that, and uh, you know, with the hollow ship, I mean, kind of circling back with that. I mean, I think that's like kind of a feat of both science and engineering. So, but I think it leans maybe more engineering with this episode than it does science. Um, there's just not there's just not much focus on science. Period with the show and it's it's bugging the crap out of me and I'm not even like a scientist I just appreciate how the science and all the future sciencey stuff you know plays a role in Star Trek and I'm kind of with you on da- on this David like with the the command like I mean last episode and this episode Michael Burnham she she makes all these decisions, um, knowing that they're going to be be tough, like they're the right decisions, but people aren't going to like it. And you still kind of see that kind of carrying over today, um, you know, with this particular episode. So, I, I would get, I would say, for this episode, we definitely get more of the command and the the, the operation slash engineering um, stuff showing through. So, with that, uh, we come down to our number rating for this for this. Uh, episode so again one to ten one being a dumpster fire ten being amazing eric where are we at man well i will say that this episode um was entirely predictable i think after last week's episode you 
pretty much could have like written this whole thing out yourself and figured it out. I mean, I guess the one thing that I, I didn't figure out was, you know, book being able to operate the spore drive. But other than that, everything that happened was entirely predictable and just basically paint by numbers or write by numbers, whatever you want to call it. Um, which isn't to say that it's bad. I mean, I didn't wholly dislike this episode. I didn't love it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I was worried that at the end of this season, I was going to lose all interest in this show moving forward because um, like this ep- this season started strong and it, it had an interesting idea and then it, it quickly fell apart. But I, I mean, the setup that we have for season four it is interesting to me and I, I'm going to come back. And I think that's the best part about this episode is, you know, setting up for this hope and this and this reconnection of possibly rebuilding the Federation in season four. Mm-hmm. So with that said, I, I mean, I'm just going to give it like a six and a half. Like, it's not bad. It's not great. It's predictable. And it's just kind of exists. David? Um, it, yeah, I, I, I hate I hate to say that the seasons colored my opinion a little bit more than maybe it does in other shows, but I think because everything's so interconnected, that can't really be helped. Um, and I, and I know that eventually you want to do more of a you know an end uh, retrospective. So I won't dig too far, but there, there are so many continuing themes that just let me down. And I think, uh, you, you know, once again, the, the finale wasn't, wasn't spectacular. It wasn't terrible. Um, but it just, I just, I, I just would have liked more. And and I also have to say this, I really hope we stop doing this A and B story in the upcoming seasons. I, I really I really hope we stop having to do this now that we kind of have Michael as captain and Saru's maybe doing his thing on Kaminar, so we can just have one like one arc instead of just having all these roundabout sort of things because that that kind of distracts me a little bit too sometimes. But strictly on the episode, again, we're, we're, we're explaining things, but we're not explaining things. We're action-packed, but, you know, we're lacking science. We're, you know, killing off people discriminately, indiscriminately, <clears throat> you know, just because that's what we're doing in this action sequence now. Um, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of heart in it. You know, it just doesn't seem to have a, have a pulse as much, but on the saving grace. I mean, like I said earlier, Doug Jones did a really nice job of conveying mm-hmm. great emotion. Um, and then Bill Irwin, <laughs> uh, as well. I thought he did a, a, a good job with, uh, with Sue call. And I, I actually think that was probably my favorite part about it. Um, was sort of there back and forth. Um, but at least there's, there's a resolution and somewhat of a way forward 
for the for the next season. So I guess that's okay. Uh, all, all in all, I mean, I, I'm probably going to agree with Eric and just give it a six five. Um, it's just it's just average. It's just a- it doesn't really set me up with like some major expectancy for next season, but it does kind of close down this season enough. It's just okay. with uh, with this episode it was I say it's long I mean it, it's an hour and two minutes but it just it I mean it felt really long um, like an extra what 10 minutes 15 minutes the normal I, I want to say um, I think the the stuff that I liked the most I mean I've already talked about but you know I, I liked the oh well moment um there, there in the nacelle. I liked the the interactions that we saw on the hollow ship, uh, but man, like all the, the the turbo lift chase scene, fight scene, like it just took me out of it. And I'm you you said you David, you said the thing that I was trying to figure out what it was that was missing, and you were saying the heart. Like there's like a heart, there's a soul, there's a there's a spark of some kind that's that's missing from this particular show and um for me i think i think you know like it's it's on the right track i want to say i want to be gracious and say that you know discovery maybe is perhaps on the right track it's doing better perhaps than it has um in previous seasons um, I, it does. It does seem like it gets continuing to move up and forward, um, slowly. But it's moving up and forward, as far as I'm concerned. But there's just a lot of stuff that's just not jiving. That's just not clicking. Um, but like Eric and I, and I think even you said this, David. Like we all really loved how this season started, and like we all had like very positive views of how it started and stuff and then like somewhere around the middle it just kind of started to to really decline rapidly and I feel like there's been a little bit of recovery from that decline but maybe not as much and, and we'll certainly go into more of that discussion when we do like a retrospective later on but for me I think I got to give this episode a six and three quarters 6.75 on this um it's it's average. It's not terrible, you know. It's not unification three for me, um, but I, I do think that like there is a tide was a better episode than than this one. Um, I mean, even based on the rating, I gave it a seven last time. So like this one just misses the mark just a little bit, and and for some reason, like it's it's so dumb, guys. Like, but. Like that line that when Tilly is um, telling Captain Michael about this starbase or whatever that wants to um, share their signature gelato with them, like, who wrote this, man? <laughs> who wrote that gelato line? I mean, really? Really? And look, okay, there's, there's a show that I watch with my daughter um, that I think my wife watched when she was in like middle school or high school. And that was Kim Possible on Disney. I don't know if either of you've ever seen it or heard of it, but the main—I love that show, by the way. I love watching it with my daughter. It's great. Uh, it's got uh, Will Friedle, the guy that played um, um, the older brother in Boy Meets World, and who also voiced um, 
the Batman and Batman Beyond. Anyway, so anyways, in the show, uh, the character, whenever they answer like their beeper, their phone or communicator thing, they always say, what's the sitch? And that's the same vibe that I got whenever um, Michael's sitting in the center seat and asking like, you know, what's up, basically. Like, I automatically thought, what's the sitch? And uh, anyway, I, I, I hope, I, I want to see more. I, I want to see more of this reconnection stuff in season four whenever we get that. Hopefully it'll be, you know, sometime early next year. Um, but like right now, like I said, we're kind of in that, that drought with, with Star Trek again. You know, after having it for 23 weeks back to back with Lower Decks and Discovery. So, <sighs> well, that's it. That's it, man. We are at the end of a end of a season of a series and uh hope you guys have enjoyed this i mean i think we've said it in different ways but i've really enjoyed having these conversations with y'all uh these past 13 weeks with discovery we didn't really do it with lower decks but <laughs> it was good hanging it's been good hanging out with y'all and having these conversations yep absolutely has been good so far bye forever See you never. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, we'll we'll be talking about you know when it'll be good to come back. We'll probably take like you know at least a week to two weeks off from from this before we come back and do like a retrospective. So it might be like um, like end of January, early February before we get a retrospective out. But um, we'll let you know. So to keep your eyes and ears peeled for that sort of thing. Any um, any final thoughts before we we beam on out of here? Nope. Let's fly. Let's fly. Let's go. Let's fly. <sighs> <sighs> All right. Punch it. <laughs> so Erica is apparently oh. Captain Burnham. Dave is apparently Captain Pike. This is awesome. Uh, hold hold on a second. Hold hold on a second. Captain Pike is not the only one that says punch it. Well, more recently, because I believe it, it was also Punch It Chewy. So <laughs> let's go, Millennium Falcon, onto another universe. <laughs> so that's how we're gonna end. That's how we're gonna end. I see how it is. Yes. Oh Lord. All right. Well, all y'all in listener land, um, what do y'all think? What y'all think of the season finale? Did it meet your expectations? Were you disappointed? Um, how'd you rate this? You know, in your own delta, your own delta numerical rating. Let us know. Uh, get in contact with us. Check us out at trtvpod.com. Uh, check out our hailing frequencies portion of the page and uh, send us a note there. Uh, there's links to our various social media stuffs, which hopefully doesn't get shut down anytime soon because why not? Um, anyway, so if you want to connect with us on social media, you can check us out all at trtvpod. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we post stuff um, as regularly as we're able to on there and um, we'd love to hear what you have to say about um, the show and um, you know and how it how this season has ended um, if you do um, you know if you decide that you want to just send us an email or something you can do that trtvpod at gmail.com uh, you can also send us a voice only transmission to 817-752-4757 remember there's a three minute time limit and your comments may be used in a future episode of this podcast now finally 
If you want to send us some gelato, which will probably be all melted and nasty and sticky by the time we get it, you can do that. I don't recommend it. Make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station PO Box 2455 Azel, Texas 76098. Hope you all have enjoyed this show. That you've enjoyed these adventures that we've been embarking on. As we leave here today, may you always remember to boldly go and make it so.